You're listening to the Matthew Sermon Series at Sojourn East. In this series, we're following Jesus as He calls us to take on His yoke and experience true discipleship. We have five loaves and two fishes, and there's 5,000 of you. I guess we need Jesus, right? Or we're all walking away hungry. So I met Mohammed this morning, who is our Uber driver. We had 13 minutes with him. And I said, so Mohammed, did you say your prayers today? He's from Somalia. And he said, yes. And uh, I said, that's wonderful. How do you feel different after you pray? And he said, I feel I'm not stressed anymore. My anxiety has left me. I have a sense of peace. I said, wow, that's great. And I said, you know what happens when I pray is even before I can get rid of my anxiety and my stress, I have envy. I have malice. I have anger. I have all kinds of things going on inside me that I need to get rid of before I have a chance to get to the peace end of things. And that's why as Christians we talk to Jesus, because Jesus died on the cross to take away our sins. And then once I give that to Jesus, I can move into the same kind of peace you're talking about. As we drive up to the side of the building, whatever side it is, um, I'm thinking, all right, here's a young Muslim fellow and here's a Christian. Um, May I bless you, Muhammad? May I bless you? And he said, yes, you can. He's quite willing. And I said, Father, I pray for Muhammad. I pray for his family. I pray for his two girls that uh, he's brought to this land. I pray for you to prosper him. I pray for you to help him in his life because it's not easy to be uh, an immigrant and to fend for yourself in this world. And I pray that you would um, shower your kindness upon him. And I pray this in Jesus' name. I made a friend this morning, I assure you. It takes all of 13 minutes. Bless your neighbor in prayer. Pray with them and pray for them because prayer is the fastest and easiest way to make a friend. And that goes for a church too. Until we pray with and for each other, we remain ball bearings in a bowl. It's as we pray, we discover, oh, we're ligaments and joints held together by Jesus Christ. We not only know it intellectually, we feel it. And when I pray for Muhammad, I know something happens. I didn't just pray about God. God was in that conversation. So between this Christian minister and this Muslim Uber driver, God was speaking. Father, we pray that you would help us this morning. We would meet Jesus. Mm. 
those of us who have tasted Christ find every other meal profoundly dissatisfying and empty and vain. Because once we have fed on you, just like we're going to do in communion, we feasted. And we long to feast upon thee still. Amen. So I'm going to read this morning and talk about the ascension power and Holy Spirit joy of Christ's praying church. That's a long title. This sermon should be over by now. But the modifiers are key here. It's the ascension power that we're looking for. It's the power of a risen, ascended, exalted, all-powerful Lord of heaven and earth, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's what we're looking for this morning. It is the Holy Spirit joy, the joy that articulates itself in an interesting phrase at the end of this passage I'm reading, great grace was upon them all. We see here a similar passage in Acts 2 where it says they were all filled with awe. Where the Holy Spirit is, great grace will be upon all of us. Where the Holy Spirit is, we will be filled with awe. Where he's not, we'll know. Because where he is, is indescribably, indefinably different than any other experience in heaven or earth that we can have. And the Christian life is meant to be an abiding in Christ. A sense that we are not only visitors into the heavenly places, but we have been seated with God at the right hand of power, and we are now in the very presence of We are citizens in the very presence of the Son of God. Jesus prayed, I pray they will be with me where I am. It's the end of John 17. Check it out. I don't want them to be where they are. I want them to be with me. Prayer is merely participating in being where he is. That's all it is. Prayer is being there where he is. Not praying is, you're still there, maybe, if you're a believer, but you're not participating where he is. Because prayer is the metabolizing and the, in, in the internalizing and the experience of the presence of the ascended Christ. Let me read the passage. So the apostle, the uh, elders, scribe, they're greatly annoyed. We are greatly annoyed. So I want you to know we're greatly annoyed that you're preaching in Jesus, the resurrection of the dead. But by what name are you doing these things? Oh, by the name of Jesus we're doing these things. There's salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven by which man may be saved. They've taken a little bit aback by this kind of bold approach. Don't you know who we are? Oh, we are the Sanhedrin. You don't backtalk the Sanhedrin. We're in power. We are the power. But in order that it might spread no further among the people, 3,000 people have come to Christ, then 5,000, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. So it's okay. Talk about God. Do some philanthropy. Meet Sunday mornings in your old hangout. That's fine. 
Just don't get out here in the public square and start talking about this guy as the only way of salvation. That we forbid. Everything else is okay. Just want you to know, you will not be persecuted. Anything you want to do in the world, just don't speak in his name and you'll be fine. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders said to them. When they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and earth and sea and everything in them, who brought, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage, the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed. You know, there's an old saying, just because you think the world is against you doesn't mean the world's not against you. But the apostles discern something. Herod, the chief priests, the people of Israel, the Gentiles, they look at this single event and they discern this is the apocalyptic conflict that the church finds itself in then, now, and always. And it will never be different. There's no age when there's a friendship between the world and the cause of Christ. Psalm 2 is the distillation of kingdom prayer in this present age that we're in. Psalm 2 prayer is what it all cooks down to. When we want to find out, what does it mean? People ask me, what does it mean to pray kingdom prayer? I said, it's right here, Psalm 2. A friend of mine in China working with thousands of leaders in China, right now asking for prayer about the coronavirus and the challenges they're facing and the new laws of persecution. And he said to me this, he wrote to me recently, he said, when God's people in China pray this prayer, they change from the conquered people to the conquering army of Christ. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan predestined to take place. Now, Lord, look upon their threats. Grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Thus begins the reading of God's word. Thus begins the church of Jesus Christ in this newborn ascension reality. The church of Jesus Christ is a church that experiences the ascension power of Christ. The church of Jesus Christ is a church that is filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. The church of Jesus Christ is a praying church. There is no other church given to us. There is no other model of the church. 
There is no other pattern or paradigm. I'm Presbyterian. We look back at that history and say, that was good for then, but we're in a real world now. It can't happen again. If it doesn't happen again, we can't be the church. If it doesn't happen again, there is no church. It must happen again and again. It happened in Acts 2, didn't it? They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. A hurricane that time, earthquake this time. God's got a little variety. Acts chapter 16, another earthquake. The awakening in 1904 in South Africa was a earthquake. The building began to shake. Andrew Murray comes out and says, what's, what's going on here? What's going on? It sounds like a train's running by. Problem is, there's no trains in the entire community. They thought this huge train had gone by. And everybody's laughing and praying, and, and, and he says, settle down, settle down. What's your problem? He's trying to calm everybody down. An elder walked up to him. You need to stop now, Pastor Murray. You need to stop telling people to stop. If we're told about a gospel of Christ or a message of Jesus that is a fine oration of information, that's what needs to stop. Because we don't need anything more than to be filled with God to experience the joy and power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And you, that's for you, brother. That's for you, sister. It is. It's not for the few. When the Holy Spirit fell, it fell upon all, didn't it? The flame fell upon each one of them, and each one of them became a temple of the Holy Spirit, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, inhabiting each and every single believer. The the new age of the Spirit is the age of the democratization of the work of God in the people of God. When each and every one of us has the spirit of prophet, the spirit of priest, the spirit of king within us, we're walking temples That's what I tell my Sikh friends who go to temple. I said, I got a strange one for you. Let me tell you about it. You go to temple, I am a temple. And then I get to explain to them what I mean. I've already made my point about they're told to be silent. What was their response? Whether it's right to speak In the the sight of God, to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. We can't speak about what we've seen or heard. What's our response today to the many edicts, subtle or overt, that says you must not bring Jesus into the public square? You can talk about him all you want, privately. But there will be no proselytizing in this nation, if you're a public servant, if you're in the military, if you're a nurse in a hospital, a doctor, a school teacher. But it's okay. Sunday's fine. No problem. In fact, we really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Because the public square, they say it's so that we don't, 
offend others and let's make room for everybody. Well, do they get to speak? No, of course not. We need to make room for not neutrality, but for, we need to make room for a message that says there is no God. We need to leave lots of room for a message that says heaven and earth is not his terrain. We need to make room for uh, prevailing atheism in the public square. In Canada, there was recently, in my province, uh, Vancouver, actually, the city of Vancouver, there was a prayer breakfast where they debated long and hard. Jews and Muslims come to these prayer breakfasts and other people who don't believe in God. So they took a vote. Should we include the name of Jesus at the end of our written and spoken prayers? They decided, no, if we're going to be acceptable and fair to others, we won't include the name of Jesus. Historians will tell us that wherever conversion, anti-conversion laws have been put in place and complied with, the church has died, usually within one or two generations. How should we respond to... That's just one example that I was trying to apply the scripture to today. How should we respond to those edicts? How should we respond? Should we engage in a concerted civil disobedience? I want you to come up here afterwards. I want you to sign a petition. I want us to make a... Let's get out there and let's make some noise for Jesus. Should we get political about this? Time to uh, marshal our, our representatives... I'm not exactly what sure you guys have senators and, and, and all, everything else. Whatever you've got. We've got our own problems. You have yours. Anyway, <laughs> what did the church do in this situation? When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they raised their voices together to God. The first response, apart from which all other responses are vain, futile, and only breed antagonism, the first response is earnest, united, concerted, gathered prayer. Until we've done that, we have done nothing. Because that's where it starts, that's where it's birthed. We see the, the church birthed in prayer. Wait, how long? Till I, till I tell you, till the Spirit falls upon you, then go out and do your thing. Wait. That's the pattern. And there is no other pattern. And there is no other way. There's no shortcuts. Earnest, united prayer. What happens is they gather in prayer, but this is not like calling a prayer meeting. This is a spontaneous, supernatural, instinctive response to gather in prayer. It happens. A Holy Spirit church, this is a maxim. This is, I think, an irrefutable argument of Scripture. Where the Holy Spirit is, God's people gather in prayer. Where the Holy Spirit isn't, God's people don't gather in prayer. 
It's instinctive. If you're a wildebeest, and I'm not suggesting you are, but if you were a wildebeest, then you gather instinctively with your herd for many reasons. Good fellowship, whatever, you know, follow each other. But especially because there's lions and cheetahs and hyenas and you know what I mean? It has this gathering influence to be persecuted, (laughs) to be on someone's menu. Well, I think we're on someone's menu today. I really do. I think that, that if you could compile all of the rhetoric and all the confusion of that day, it's very clear the nations have gathered themselves against God. If you compile all the rhetoric, all the discussion, all the political chicanery, all that's going on, behind it all, the nations have gathered against God. It's true in India. It's true in China. It's true in most of the Muslim world, not all of it. It's true in Canada, I want to tell you. I think it's true in America, too. But they don't just gather, they muster. In other words, what the priests said was a declaration of war. Not against us, against the one on high. Because what they do is they appeal to God, don't they? They appeal to God and say, they're opposing you and you're anointed one. They're opposing you and the Christ. And they muster together and say, all of these people are against you. The Gentiles are raging. The people's plotting in the vain. The kings of the earth are setting themselves, the rulers gathering together against the Lord and his anointed. And they distilled all of that information. They distilled all of their prayer into this realization that we are in a battle. And then they enlist God in his own cause. Do you want to have powerful prayer? Anybody here would like to have some power in prayer? Some of you don't? You know, I'm the kind of preacher that puts people on the spot, just so you know. And so people say, don't ever look them in the eye because he's going to ask you to do something. Do you want to know the power of prayer? Then enlist God in his own cause. Take note of their threats to you, God, to the Lord and his anointed, and then pour out your spirit upon us and give us what we need. Why is it when the church is under current siege, I would call it siege, we're in a time of siege, that we comply? that we allow our religion to be convenient. Here's where it hits me, okay? They were jealous for the honor of God. They were loyal to the one who had just saved them. There's 5,000 new converts here. They remembered what he did for them. They remembered how just a few days before they were pierced to the heart because they realized, what can we do to be saved? We took part in that man's crucifixion. And they knew where to go because they discerned the nature, not only of the enemy, but they discerned that God's name, that's why it says so many times, the name of Jesus, the name of God, the name of Jesus, the name of, in this passage, I think it's six times, it's referred to the name. Because his name is at stake. What what a believer has to realize 
is it's not about you. It's not about me. We're, we're dispensable. Our future's taken care of. It's all about the name of Jesus. And the church will be at its strongest and most powerful and most prayerful when it recovers an old practice. Jealous for God. As jealous as you'd be as some guy tried to take your wife or kidnap your children. Jealous for God. And to be pierced in your heart this morning, brother or sister, if you have no jealousy for God. If you have no jealousy for God this morning, there's only two conclusions that are possible. One is you've totally forgot where you come from. You just forgot altogether the price that's been paid for you. You forgot the splendor, the joy, the majesty, the exaltation, the glory, the beauty that you've been invited into. And you're like Peter, who's in the garden, and he turns and looks at Jesus and sees Jesus looking him in the eye. What did that look do to, Jesus, to Peter's heart? It broke his heart. And I want to say, I hope this morning, if you haven't been jealous for Jesus, that your heart will be pierced and broken too. I hope that right after this service, you will not go home and watch whatever sporting event you enjoy, but you will go home and ask Jesus to restore that first love to you again. What was God's answer? They're visited with Christ's ascension power. When they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. As I already mentioned, this is kind of the second Pentecost. They were, it says in the first one, they were all filled and they were, got the flames of fire and every, everybody's filled and they're filled and joyous and they're filled with awe. And here we are a few days or weeks or months later. I don't know how long it was. I'm not sure we have a, a liturgical calendar that fits this one in. A few days later, they're all filled again. Why? This is an unusual earthquake. If you're in an earthquake, then ground zero is the biggest shock. And it emanates out, and it becomes a little less. So you start with 5.0, then you go to 4.0, 3.0, 2.0. This is an interesting earthquake. When Jesus rose from the dead and ascended, it starts at 4.0, 5.0, 6.0, 7.0, through history and through the world. This is the earthquake of being filled with the Holy Spirit. This is why Paul said, be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Every day, ask Jesus to lift you from the mundane, pedestrian, self-serving realities of a culture that's obsessed with its own prosperity and well-being and say, Jesus, I want to be what I am, a new man. I want to be a new woman. I'm tired. This is, it. I've become exceedingly boring. I've become contentious. I don't like myself, and i got a feeling people don't like me either. Because that's what it's like to live apart from Jesus, to say you believe the message, but you don't have the Holy Spirit. You're not even a likable person. I promise you, you're not. You think you are? Ask somebody close to you to be honest with you. 
We lose the joy, we lose the kindness, we lose the mercy, we lose the sense of being a single body. We lose all of that because Jesus says, I want to fill you with myself. And then guess what I'm going to throw in? Great grace. Oneness of heart, oneness of soul. Harvest of joy. I've made you a new creature. You're going to be that new creature. So they're all filled, and they all speak the word of God with boldness. When the Holy Spirit falls, we all become prophets. There's no awakening in the church history, in the scriptures, where it's only clergy or only elders. It's always all of God's people. Those that were scattered by the persecution of Peter, of Stephen, it says, they went everywhere telling nobody but Jews only. But then they told some Greeks. The gospel went from Jews to Greeks because people like you, everyday believers, had something in them that they simply couldn't keep out. Because the Spirit never just fills you full. He always fills to overflowing. It never stops with you, with silent meditations and and yogic contemplations. It always goes out past you, just like this passage is. So you will know that you're filled with the Holy Spirit when you find in your life a new boldness to tell others about Jesus. When it moves from being a terrifying thing to talk to your neighbor about God, to being something they'd have to put duct tape on you to stop you talking about God. And it's bold preaching that calls to repentance. This Christ whom you crucified. You killed the author of life. Repent that your sins may be blotted out. You know, there's a lot of nice ways to talk about Jesus. But eventually you're going to have to come to the realities that you needed to discover when you became a believer and that you too were a crucifier of Christ. That He's on that cross for you and your sins. And you're not going to be able to help anybody if you don't bring them to that point of realization that Jesus did not come to improve your life. He didn't come to improve your life. He came to give you a new life. The old's got to go. That's all repentance is, is saying, I want new he says, okay, scrap the old. I'll give you new, but the old's got to go. And the old, getting rid of the old is called repentance. Emptying yourself that you might be filled. Same, that's why they call it the filling of the Holy Spirit. It expels. The, the, the filling expels. While you're getting filled, it expels. And it's public preaching. Every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Just think of it as a a river. It flows in here, it flows into your heart, and it flows out those doors because it's overflowing. So what happens when God's people unite in one voice to pray? 
and the Spirit falls upon us, we regain our voice. We discover that we are Christ's praying church. That's what we are. Oh, if you're not Christ's praying church, as I mentioned before, there's just no other church. I don't, I don't know what you are if you're not Christ's praying church. It's, it's, we're not given two patterns. We're given one. So if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you'll recover the fact that you are Christ's praying church. And you'll become bold. Not because you have to, but because you can help but being bold. And you'll take on the opposition directly and immediately in war. I mean, this is how we make war. Father, restrain the wickedness today by converting them. That's how Christians make war. Restrain evil, corruption, wickedness, propaganda, lies, everything that is against your honor, and restrain it. In fact, destroy it by saving souls and bringing them into your kingdom. That's what happens here. The enemy's confounded, but it says a great many more added to the Lord. That's a wonderful pattern, isn't it? Okay, so the Holy Spirit joy is here, and the outcome is a body renewed, revived, and born again. Some people think of the church as a hospital. I don't mind the metaphor. But if it is the hospital, it's not the triage unit. It's not where people come in and they've been blown to pieces and we're trying to fit them back together. It's not the hospice unit where people are we're helping them die. It is the birthing unit, which is the happiest place in every hospital, where people are still smiling. So if we are a hospital, we are the birthing unit. And that's what happens here is the body is renewed and revived and born again. The full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. A few things we'll see here is what I've already said. First of all, there will be a cohesion, spontaneous, supernatural, experiential cohesion of the body in prayer. That's the first sign of the Holy Spirit coming. The second is a jubilee of generosity. A jubilee of generosity. They weren't concerned about their property. Their biggest concern was those who didn't have any. The Holy Spirit comes, you're going to start looking around for those who don't have anything. Because the church does not operate according to the Protestant work ethic. You're diligent. You've worked hard. You got well-educated. You deserve what you got. That's the Protestant work ethic. I don't, I'm looking for it. I've been reading this book for, for 50 years now. I haven't found it there yet. It's, the Bible's teaching is about jubilee where everybody gets a little piece of property, including Mohammed, who took us with his Uber car. I hope one day he gets a house. It's a little house. And I hope somebody helps him get there and says, what can I do to help this new immigrant move from where he is to the next stage in his life? Give him a little help. Not welfare, just a little help, because he's a hardworking young man. And especially in the Church of Jesus Christ. 
So there's a cohesion, there's a jubilee of generosity, and there's an expanding harvest. The Lord adds to the number of those that are saved. More than ever believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. The number of disciples multiplied. Churches throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria multiplied. This is normal Christianity. A fellow by the name of Leonard Ravenhill wrote a book, Why Does Revival Tarry? Why is the Lord not pouring out his spirit in power and doing great and mighty works again? Are we waiting for him? Or is he waiting for us? You know, above all, brothers and sisters, we can't make a revival happen, but it will not happen until we long for it and we ask for it, and we unite in prayer for it, and we pray, gathered in prayer, saying, Lord, fill us afresh and fill us anew. And you know what? We don't pray for revival. That kind of prayer is revival. We don't pray for revival. When we gather in prayer and ask for the things that please and honor Jesus, we're already in a revival. Somebody said to me, I don't really have a strong prayer life. I'm kind of stumbling along, and it's weak as can be. And I said, Yeah, but that's only a prayer away. What a great religion, eh? What a great religion. I'm fulfilled with sin and regret and anger and and malice, and I got a list of it. I've been an alcoholic, and I'm doing this. I beat my kids. I did it. Come unto me, you that labor and are heavy laden. I am a prayer away from you. Long for me. Please, let's pray. Take a moment. To just, whatever from this passage that has encouraged or convicted you, take a moment to think. And uh, then we're going to, after a moment, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And I'm asking you, please pray with me, that this whole room is united in earnest prayer after this prayer. So take a moment. Lord, we are taking this moment and these few moments to gather together, spontaneously, supernaturally, experientially, and ask, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Not just all of us, but each one of us. And especially give us a spirit of prayer. That we might experience great grace. That we might be filled with awe. And we might find brand new, wonderful ways of blessing one another. In prayer and in deed. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. I'm Kevin Jameson, lead pastor at Sojourn East. Thanks for listening. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support the ministry of Sojourn East, visit sojournchurch.com east.